0: You beholding him today, the the risen Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, his presence is in this place. His presence is in this place. What are, these were just some fabulous worship songs, and I hope they are just getting down into your spirit about our risen Savior. Good morning, happy Resurrection Day to all of you. It's it's a high point of our Christian faith. This the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's foundational to everything that we believe. And uh, we have just been singing about it and worshiping the Lord this morning. Was the grave meant for me? It's one of the lines in one of the songs we were singing. Was the grave meant for me? Anyone want to live forever? Who wants to live forever? Anybody here want to live forever? I see some hands. I hear some amens. I saw two hands. Yeah, I I see some hands in the back, yes! You know, I I think that is just something most of us do as humans. We desire to live forever. It's been a quest. It has been a quest, really, since the beginning of time, since humankind, uh, humans innately knew... We're terminal. There's going to be an end. We call it death. Death has been feared. And because of that fear, there's been this quest for thousands of years to become immortal, to beat death. You you can go back in time. You can go back in history. Uh, There's like the epic of Gilgamesh. He was a Mesopotamian king. Some say he was a myth. Others say he was a real guy. But the story of Gilgamesh is that uh, living a couple thousand years before Christ, he was terrified of death. And so he went on a mission. The king and all his resources went on a mission to find eternal life. It didn't work. He didn't find it. In the Far East, in the Far East, uh, over 2,000 years ago, Chinese emperors were in search of what they called the elixir of life why because they thought this elixir of life would bring them immortality Qin Shi Huang the uh, emperor he was the first emperor uh, in China in the 3rd century BC he was so frightened of dying that he outlawed discussing death in official court proceedings And you know what happened if you violated that law? (laughs) Enough said. So he set out, too, in desperate, desperate pursuit of everlasting life. In the Middle Ages, in Europe, there was the the move of alchemy. They thought, oh, this was chemistry and philosophy or whatever. Alchemy would usher in immorality, Or immortality, not immorality. That had already been ushered in long before. Uh, And what were they doing? These alchemists, you know, if you mixed certain things and you made concoctions or potions, some were drinking water with gold dust or some other potion, hoping for preservation forever. Didn't work. In the early 1500s, there's the uh, history of Ponce de Leon. He was in search for the fountain of youth didn't really find it, but you can go to Florida and check it out anyway. uh, And in our day, in our time, modern technology, it's it's amazing. It's helped so many, so many continue productive lives when not too long ago they would have uh, been immobile or not living at all. So there's there's a whole industry of replacement parts and they're a great thing because they help people to continue living. But many envision life not just prolonged by all the replacement parts, but some envision living forever through technology with the accompanying replacement parts. And why is that? It's because dying is dreadful. It's feared. It's feared. And so many want to beat death. Uh, Ten years ago, Google launched a company called Calico. And that's the California Life Company, Calico. What is their objective? Their objective is to solve death. And, and what are they doing? To, they are endeavoring to understand biology that controls aging and lifespan in order to one day beat it out. I just saw an article, and this was the title. This was the headline. Immortality is attainable by 2030. That's seven years. Now technology's moving at light speed, there's no doubt. And some are really looking forward to this. 2030, immortality, it was a very interesting article. One portion was all about living longer uh, to perhaps maybe 200 years. If you want to live 200 years, uh, this article talked about the use of supplements and uh, nanobots, microscopic robots to get into your bloodstream and change cells and that kind of thing. Uh, And also using stem cells all to decelerate aging. Uh, Another portion of this article, though, it considered living forever, this idea that in 2030 or perhaps beyond, immortality will be achieved. So let me just uh, uh, read you a bit from this article. It talked about companies working toward preserving your mind. So this is how they were going to help you live forever. Here's uh, some excerpts. One startup in the U.S. proposed this. What if we told you we could back up your mind, preserve your brain, and upload it to the cloud? Scientists also said this may one day allow humans to become immortal by hooking up our minds to artificial systems after our natural bodies have perished. Assuming you saved enough and prepared well, you connect to an android to use, your, to use as your body from now on. You attend your funeral and then carry on as before. Still you, just with a younger, highly upgraded body. Now, th- this really isn't fantasy. People are chasing after this, and there are billionaires pouring tons of cash into this. Uh, th- this company called Calico, and th- this other one that was working on the upload to the clouds called Netcom, and they're they're getting tons of cash. Just like the kings of old, there are people with with money that are wanting immortality. So think of it: your brain's on the cloud, and you get this Android body. You know, it's kind of like the Star Wars C three PO, right? Or some other machine that's gonna that's gonna be our body. I don't know that it's highly upgraded. I kind of I think this body God designs a, a, it's truly truly amazing and can't be beat. Uh, at least in this world. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong about medical technology. You know if there's something that medical technology discovers or invents. You know heart valves can be replaced and and there are just fantastic things uh, that help. Help us not to be sick and to live longer. That is great. But this chase for immortality, it's really misguided because there's something that's been missed. It's already been achieved. It's already been achieved. You know, you want to be immortal? It, It is not concoctions and potions and, you know, all kinds of things that you, you can take that, you've, that are going to make you live forever. Uh, it's not technology. Technology is wonderful as it is. Immortality comes one way. One way. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, who we've been talking about and singing about. Jesus died. Jesus died, yet he conquered death. He died He conquered death. We've sung about victory. The Bible, the word of God tells us that Jesus was victorious over death. And he proved, he proved immortality 2,000 years ago. The word of God describes death as an enemy. And, And for any who might fear this enemy, we call death. God's word is also very clear. He has given us a victory over that enemy. It's, if death is described as an enemy, that's an adversary, something that is looking to take us down, and that enemy is defeated through Jesus Christ. If I had to pick a chapter of God's word, a chapter of the Bible, that I would call a favorite I don't want to say that I have an absolute favorite. That's so hard. But on the short list, really on the really short list, is the 15th chapter of the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 15. It's amazing. I love it. I read it a lot. It's all about resurrection. It's about the resurrection of Jesus, but not just that. It's all about our resurrection. Something that is amazing, yet true. Something I look forward to. It's such an amazing plan of God. And evidently, there were some in the Corinthian church that were teaching Christians, listen, you're not immortal. There's going to be an end, a termination, you're done. There is no such thing as a resurrection, and the Apostle Paul was not having it. He was not having it. Read that chapter. He repeats over and over. It is happening. He wrote that the this concept, this notion, this idea of a resurrection of the body, it's predicated on a single fact. One single fact. And what's the fact? Jesus. Jesus has indeed resurrected from the dead. Paul, he was firm. He was firm several times writing things like this. If Jesus was not resurrected, then our faith is futile. We are still in our sins. Not only that, we've been false witnesses. Paul's saying, listen, if I've been walking around telling you there's a resurrection and there isn't, I've been lying to you, and I am not a liar. I am not a false witness. And he continued, our faith isn't futile. No, we're not still under that death penalty because of sin. And we're not lying. We're not lying about the resurrection. He was emphatic. I'll give you one verse from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. This is what the apostle wrote and he asserted and he was emphatic about it. No equivocation. Jesus was resurrected. And then the apostle went on to write, this corruptible, this corruptible body must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruptible is put on incorruption, when this mortal is put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. See, he had written all about the resurrection and he summed it up This is gonna happen. You are mortal, but you will put on immortality and God will give you a body as he sees fit from something that's turned to dust. It's an amazing thing. He gave examples of how it's gonna come about. He answered the question, oh, you say there's no resurrection, how can it be? Read the chapter. It is fantastic. And Paul told us immortality is achieved. It's achieved because... Jesus gives us the victory. He has been raised. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. That's a fact. That's a fact. Now I know there are many that would call me a nut bar and a silly fool for saying that Jesus rose from the dead and that's a fact. They'd say, it's not a fact. It's not a fact, it's a myth. It's a myth. And and you have just been won over uh, in your weak mind, it's nothing but blind, deluded faith that you can say, oh, it's a fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It's, uh, it's not blind faith. It's not blind faith. Uh, on Wednesday nights, we have been studying the voluminous amount of historical evidence that says without a doubt, it shows without question, Jesus existed Jesus was crucified, and Jesus rose from the dead. It's a fact there. The quantity of historical evidence and data and eyewitness accounts, it outweighs what's available to to authenticate the likes of Alexander the Great, the Caesars, other kings. The historical volumes just... It far outweighs all of them when it's about Jesus. Just one example. One example. uh, the, The birthplace of Julius Caesar is noted in one text, written 175 years after the fact, and guess what it's considered? Indisputable. 175 years after the fact. One account. For Jesus... There's two biographical accounts of his birthplace. There's a a ton of secular uh, corroboration in there. One of the biographers tells us who was the Caesar at the time, who was the governor of Syria, et cetera, et cetera. There was a, a census going on. It can all be shown historically. It was written perhaps 50 years after the fact. But because it's Jesus, well, that's a myth. It's not a myth. No, it's historical, it's true, it's not made up, it's indisputable, and there is abundant, abundant historical references that leave no doubt that Jesus lived and he died and he lived again. Let's consider an eyewitness, an eyewitness of the resurrection. His name was Peter. After the, uh, Jesus has re- had resurrected, Jesus appeared for 40 days to, to many people. Peter was one of them. Peter encountered the risen Jesus multiple times, even ate with him. So it's no surprise that at the first opportunity Peter had in front of a whole huge crowd, a a, a crowd of thousands, what did he talk about? He had witnessed the man who was crucified, brutally, brutally tortured and crucified, put in a grave. He had witnessed him alive. You think he's going to talk about it? Of course he's going to talk about it. And he did. He had a, he had a crowd of thousands, and he took the opportunity. This, this opportunity presented itself just seven weeks, about seven weeks after the resurrection. A crowd of thousands of Jews had taken interest in the followers of Christ. Peter told them, You saw Jesus. You saw him when he was alive. You were witnesses of all the miracles he did. And what did that show? It showed he was from God, that he was from God. He truly was God. And then you, he's pointing to these thousands of, uh, of Jewish people that had taken interest in uh, the Christian Jews. He said, you, you, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to a cross. And then Acts 2.24, this is Peter's sermon. We heard it at the open. But God raised him from the dead. Peter's preaching. He's telling them, you did this. You, You saw Jesus. You saw his miracles. Then you had him nailed to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Impossible. Then Peter repeated the same assertion to the same crowd. Verse 32, he comes back to it just kind of like Paul. You can't let this go. This is a big deal. He was a witness to it. God raised Je- this Jesus to life. Acts 2.32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. they are witnesses of it. Peter saw it. He is testifying to what his eyes beheld. And, and, and we have these accounts that have been written. They have been put down for history. He was a, a witness of the resurrection. His testimony was so convincing that day about 3,000 people. They said, we need, to, we need to turn our lives over to Jesus because he truly was God, and he rose from the dead. He's alive. Now, not many days later, not many days after these 3,000 came to believe Peter and his friend John were going to the temple. They were going to the temple in Jerusalem, and as they made their way, they passed by a man who was at the gate of the temple, and he had been lame since birth. He had never walked, and there he was begging for money. Now, Peter was walking by, but he stopped, and he got this man's attention, and the man was looking at him intently thinking, I'm going to get an offering here. But Peter said to him, silver and gold I do not have. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And then he reached out, grabbed him by the right hand, and this man who had never walked, ever, not walked since birth, got up and he started walking. Now you can imagine the scene. This guy was pretty excited. He started dancing. He started jumping like, yes. I am walking. I've never walked before. And he's hugging these guys. He is hanging all over Peter and John. And the people there at the temple were astonished. They were astonished because they knew this guy. He sat at the gate every single day because he couldn't walk. Somebody would bring him, set him down. He'd beg for money. So this huge crowd formed because they said, this is the guy that we've seen for years who has never walked, and now he's walking. Thousands gathered. Now, what did Peter do? He took the opportunity to tell him about Jesus. Perfect opportunity to share Jesus. And and let's read a bit about it. This is Acts chapter three, verses 12 to 15. Peter says, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why does it surprise you that there's a guy dancing here who never ever walked? Why do you stare at us? As if by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We we heard an encouraging word early about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the same God. Same God, Jesus. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. He's talking to this big crowd again in Jerusalem. It's not many weeks after Jesus was crucified. If you were here Good Friday, you heard the story how that crowd was just like, hey, crucify him. Lots of people. Peter could say it without, it wasn't a false accusation. You crucified him. You handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate though Pilate had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Yeah, they asked for a guy named Barabbas, who was a known murderer. Yeah, set him free. Crucify the innocent guy, Jesus. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Again, Peter makes this assertion, we've seen it. Me and John, the others, we've, we are witnesses of this. He was certain of this. Jesus was not dead, but alive. Jesus, who had been killed, had been raised back to life. And, and he said, we're, we, we've seen it, we're witnesses. The resurrection, it formed Peter's faith. It was foundational. And it, here in this sermon that he's preaching, he ascribes to Jesus a most beautiful, wonderful title. The author of life. If you're afraid of death, if you fear death, if it's something that's just like whoosh puts trepidation in you, you need to get to know the author of life, of life. The Greek word here in Acts 3, it's the same word used in other New Testament passages that describe Jesus as the author of faith, the author of salvation. This Greek term brings with it the connotation of initiator, originator, the maker, the founder, the one who designed, in this case, life. The originator of life, the originator of life. And all those connotations of that Greek word they are the marks of an, uh, an astounding, excellent, amazing author. Because a great author conceives and creates, they initiate, they, ev- they, they invent, they generate something original. It's their very own work. And, and Jesus is the conceiver and the creator of life. Life. He's the author of life. It's hard for us to comprehend and, and get into our mind and understand Jesus is God. He is God, and He He is also was also God in the flesh. He's God that came to Earth to be one of His own creation. And that's an amazing, an amazing conception, an amazing invention. Only He could originate it. His followers testified He was God, and. Uh, Jesus insisted that it was true. He said things like, I and the Father are one, we're one. In John's gospel, the very first lines, John, that great follower who was with Peter, he said in the beginning, Jesus was with God and he was God. He is God. And in him was life, life. The opening lines, he says, Jesus is God, Jesus is life. And thus he's the author he can be described as the author of life, the instigator, the originator, creator of all life. It all originates with him. Whether you you want to receive that or reject it, it all originates with him. In the beginning, in the beginning, God, Jesus, authored life. Genesis 2-7 Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Before that, he was a clump of clay, dust. God, the author, the inventor of life, did it. But then life soon had this adversary called death. Death became the enemy of life because the man and the woman had rejected God. They sinned. And God had warned them, gave them one, one boundary, very small boundary. And yet they went beyond that boundary and they sinned and death followed. It did. And every single person since is subject to it. They're subject to die. It's the enemy and it's been feared. But God promised a way to overcome, to have victory, victory over the enemy and beyond the grave to have life again, not for a minute, not not until the android needs the oil changed or something and they gotta disconnect you from the cloud, no, forever, forever, he promised this. And, And God said, I'm gonna come to earth, here's how I'm gonna do it, I'll take your place. And that's Jesus, that's what Jesus did, he came, he took our place to deal with sin, and he died, he died and he dealt with this sin issue. Now, but, but here's the thing. This is, his, this is the way he conceived it. This was his amazing plan. He did not, he did not remove the eventual experience of dying. He, he didn't. He relieved its consequence. And he authored this astonishing future. His plan, a day of resurrection. When everyone who died in Christ in unison, all together, rise with a spirit and a body reunited for eternity. That's his plan. And he promised, he promised it eternal life for your spirit by by repenting, yielding your life, being your spirit born again. But he said, listen, that's not the whole plan. Body too. Thank you. Amazing. I can't, it's just so hard to comprehend. He promised eternal life for the spirit and the body. And I'm sure if it were up to us, if it was up to me, I'd have a totally different plan written. That'd be way easier for me. It it just would not be as grand as Jesus has designed. He's the author of life. He conceived the plan of salvation for the whole person the whole person spirit and body so listen there's no need to fear death there's no near need to fear death as divine retribution as as some end as a termination no no the witnesses of the resurrection of jesus who are not myths peter's not a myth john's not a myth they're factual figures they're historical figures they testify it's not so death is not an end The gospel brings relief to uh, the terrifying prospect of death and gives absolute glorious assurance of immortality. If I need a new hip one day, if I need a new knee, I need some part replaced, that's fine. But I'm here to tell you, I'm not uploading my brain to the cloud, all right? That's not how I'm gaining immortality. I ain't getting hooked up to no android body. No, I want the one that God has for me. I don't need to be chasing immortality. We don't need to be chasing immortality because it's already assured. It's already promised. Don't dread, don't dread death or fear it. Our amazing Lord and Savior Jesus removes the doubts and the fears that can petrify the human heart. Now, those who believe that Jesus is divine, that he's God, that, that he came to earth and he was commissioned to declare the will of God concerning repentance from sin, and that he certified the truth of his gospel by his resurrection from the dead and believe that he actually did rise according to his prediction and his promise, they have all the evidence which the truth and the faithfulness and the power and the goodness that the author of life has furnished concerning the state of immortality. Do you want to live forever? Do you want to live forever? Turn yourself over to the author of life. Turn yourself over to him today.